you've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. Hey, everybody. Welcome to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you great Catholic stories each week. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. This is Holy Week, and if you are preparing for the liturgies of Holy Week, you might be planning to go to the Easter Vigil, as I am. I love the Easter Vigil, and one of the things I really love is to watch new Catholics, to watch people as they're baptized or confirmed and received into the Catholic Church. But the thing is, you might watch them up there, but unless you know them, unless it's a friend or a relative, you never really know the story of those new converts, and you never really know how they got there. How did they end up standing in front of the altar waiting to be baptized, waiting to be confirmed? And how did those people who are standing next to them or behind them, maybe with a hand on their shoulder, how were they involved? How does a conversion happen? This week, we are telling you the story of one conversion. It's a pretty cool one. Ryan Prasad is a 27-year-old living in suburban Vancouver, British Columbia. That's in Canada. Ryan's parents are Hindus, but Ryan says he never really caught into being a Hindu. He says he knew from a young age that there was a God. Maybe he was more agnostic than anything else, but he never really had a faith until he did. Here's Ryan. You know, I had a little bit of a rough upbringing, you know, like I grew up in a house with like domestic violence. You know, my father was like, you know, pretty alcoholic. I didn't really know how to like, you know, I think it was like a lot of stuff that I kept to myself, didn't really get my issues dealt with all this stuff at home. To avoid his issues back at home, Ryan became very socially active and his friends smoked weed. So he smoked weed. Weed became like a crutch for me to meet new people and my grades started dropping when I started smoking more weed. And um, after I graduated high school, I started selling weed too because like I made all these friends so in my mind, I'm like, now I know all these people that smoke weed and, you know, call me to smoke weed with, you know, if I became the guy that was selling it, then maybe I could make a little extra money. He enrolled in university part-time studying business, but Ryan said that he had a really hard time focusing. Things started getting a little harder once we started getting to the math and that was the amount of weed I was smoking. It was just like I wasn't able to process, like crunching numbers and doing formulas and all that stuff again like I used to when I was younger before the weed. He dropped out. He was still working a part-time job, but between that and selling weed, he needed more money. One of his friends started selling harder drugs, crack, heroin, cocaine. So I had a taste of, a small taste of like fast cash and, you know, I seen him make cash and then, you know, for me to be that young and not really even have that much money, to ever begin with like I think it was like really made me a little bit more greedy and like yo like I wanted this and I thought I could do something with this. Ryan reached out to his friend who reached out to his friends and connected them with Ryan. Then Ryan and his friend got connected to the drug trade. Ryan was 21 at the time. It was like overnight our lives like really changed you know like I had an apartment you know I drove a nice car like all this stuff but then at the same time there was this girl I was in love with. The feelings were unrequited, and that was really hard for Ryan. I think it was my first time really dealing with emotions that strong, and then uh, me being in the party scene so much, I ended up, like, numbing my emotions. So I ended up, like, using drugs as a coping mechanism to numb my feelings. Like, I didn't really care about anything. I was just a zombie, right? 
As his addiction took hold on his life, Ryan became less dependable, where he was once a respected, though young, member with many leadership responsibilities. Now he was being penalized for poor behavior, and he was losing those responsibilities and the large payouts that came with them. You know, things progressively got worse after that, right? Because, um, you know, now I'm addicted to, like, cocaine and pills. I've just lost my apartment. You know, the girl that I was in love with finally became my girlfriend, but I was hiding my addiction from her for so long that she couldn't put up with me, and she left a picture. You know, my cars were getting less and less valuable, and my responsibilities were slowly being taken away from me. So all the money that I made was just to support my habit, and it was sad. Ryan wasn't the only one in his community who was seeing the dark side of the drug trade. People he knew were dying of overdoses, or dying because they were shot, or going to jail. At this point, Ryan was 24 years old. It was traumatizing, like, you know, I was, like, relatively young, and, you know, watching kids get involved in this stuff, too. Like, kids as young as, like, 17-year-olds, kids that are, like, you know, shot at their, in their driveways of their parents. It was getting ugly. All of this was happening in a South Asian community within a suburb of Vancouver, a community that was traditionally very tight-knit, very family-oriented. And when there were funerals, everyone showed up. A lot of the funerals that would happen, there would be like hundreds and hundreds of people that would go there. Yeah, it was just very dramatic. So I started in 2013, the beginning of 2013, and this time, like in my first couple of years, before, like, my addiction gripped my life, you know, we had a way of doing business and the, the way we ran things was just, like, cost wouldn't even look twice at us. We just looked like geeky, like, normal kids. Like, nobody would knew what we were doing. Nobody would look at us twice. The only thing that would give off the advice that, you know, that we were doing maybe anything illegal was, like, sometimes we, uh, on Snapchat, we glorified our lifestyle because of our age. Like, you know, a lot of the people our age were, like, in school trying to get by or working regular jobs, and we were making a lot of money at the time. But Ryan wouldn't be able to fly under the radar for much longer. The police began very gradually to come to understand who Ryan was and what he was doing. And it got to the point where the police actually tried to intervene. There were situations where they would pull me over and be like, what are you doing, man? Like, I've been watching you drive all day. Just go home. It's not worth getting shot over 20 bucks. But I knew, like, I couldn't just stop. You know, obviously, I put myself in a situation where now I didn't have a choice. You know, like, what? Like, I couldn't just go get a job and be able to, you know, fill like an addiction that I had, right? So, like, what I was doing was like the easiest route for me to pay for my addiction. Then Ryan sold drugs to an undercover cop posed as a construction worker. Then he did it a second time. The police issued a search warrant for Ryan's apartment, they found a gun. They pulled Ryan over, and they found drugs in the car. Ryan went to jail. He was supposed to stay in jail until his sentencing, but then someone recommended an addiction recovery house called Luke 15, where a bed just opened up. Ryan's lawyer pleaded with the judge to let Ryan take the open bed at Luke 15 while waiting for his sentencing. Um, said, like, you know, we have a bed for him. You know, he has a lot of promise. This is his first set of charges, and... You know, maybe he's worth a shot. And Ryan was given bail and sent to Luke 15. That's where I think my journey began. I was definitely at a point of surrender, you know, like having to go through all the things that I went through and 
seeing all the th- things I've seen, like, you know, enough was enough and I really wanted to turn around, right? Here's the thing, like, the six months before that October that I got arrested was like every single day before I left my house, I would pray to a God asking him to help me out of my lifestyle. There was no way I was going to be able to do it on my own. And I needed to stop doing what I was doing or I was going to like, you know, be dead myself, right? Because I've been in funerals where I've had to have mothers that were crying because their son was like, you know, dead from an overdose and, you know, me doing drugs with the same person, like, you know, a couple nights ago. Now, a little bit more about Luke 15 before we continue. Luke 15 is an addiction recovery house. It's non-denominational. It can house about 24 men at a time, and it was at capacity when Ryan moved in. Most of the men were there for the same reasons as Ryan, or they were trying to get off the streets. And for Ryan, it was the most structure he had experienced in a long time. Ryan remembers everyone at Luke 15 was really welcoming, despite his admittedly bad attitude. He remembers there were a lot of rough personalities at the recovery house with him. He remembers having a nightmare early on during his stay. He remembers he felt a presence in his room, someone or something breathing over him. He told everyone the next day, and someone said, what if it was a demon? I'm like, what? I was like the start of it, right? And then I I think after that, I think I got scared straight a little bit. And then I was just like, okay, well, like, well, I want to learn more, right? So I started going to church and, you know, I just asked questions, started reading the Bible a bit more. And and then every chance that there was to go to like a church program, that I would always like volunteer to go because I had this eagerness to learn. I just really believed that there was something like really helping me. Ryan joined a Bible study. He went to a Baptist church a couple of times, and then he went to a nearby Catholic parish, St. Mary's, for a charismatic prayer group he had heard about. The prayer group met for praise and worship. They read the Bible, and sometimes they collaborated with a healing ministry. Something happened the second time Ryan attended that prayer group. He remembers people were praying over others, and sometimes those who were being prayed over, they would fall. It was something people kept calling slain in the spirit. You know, my friends in the recovery house, they go, oh, Ryan, go ahead. Uh, you should do it. I'm like, I don't know, right? Like, uh, they're like, yeah, you do it, and then we'll go after you. I'm like, okay, cool, right? Like, you, you guys are going to catch me if I fall, right? <laughs> so they kind of talk to you and do it, right? So I went up to him, and then there's a part of me, like, I, that just, I just looked at him, and I'm just like, I explained him my situation about, like, my past. And I'm like, you don't understand, like, and then he just like, I think he was just like moved with like sympathy or something like that. And like, I think that the point of like surrender and yo, like, like, please help me. (laughs) So like, I don't know, like, so I just remember him like laying his hands on top of my head. And then all of a sudden, I just remember this um, bright white light. It just came over me and into me and. It was just uh, such a profound feeling of peace and love and such a strong presence. And, you know, I've done, like, to be honest with you, like, I've done a lot of crazy drugs in my life and there was, like, nothing that could compare to that. Ryan remembers waking up on the ground. His ears were buzzing and he couldn't stop smiling. He thought he was on the ground for 45 seconds, but his friends told him it was more like 10 minutes. It was just like the best feeling and then just like, well, wanting to like pray with my friends. <laughs> and, and even after that, I was just so happy. Like I went uh, went home uh, to the recovery house again, went to bed and I was just 
just uh, the biggest smile on my face and and yet just before this like you know i was just like very bitter and i had all this like baggage on me right so like it just turned me around still to this day i can't get over it because like there's times and situations where i struggle with my own sin you know because i'm not a perfect being and you know and, and i had to ask myself and like why did why, why was i called like why did i have to experience that because i because of that day i can't doubt that there is a god you know because there is because it's something i know like I can't pretend like he doesn't exist because I know he exists. Like I've encountered him. After that, I, like I think I came to realize that, like you know, there was the RCIA program happening at same Ray's that, you know, I've seen people were going to. So Ryan connected with Kathy Shantz, who was working at Luke 15 at the time. Kathy had already been taking Ryan and some of the others to the charismatic prayer group at St. Mary's. She did this on her own time because she was a parishioner there. One day, Ryan came to me and said. Kathy, I want to start our CIA. And I looked at him and said, you're kidding, right? Aren't you Hindu? <laughs> and he said, this is what he wanted to do. Even she was questioning it, like, because, like, she knew what, what I was like when I came in, you know, I had a bit of an attitude and a chip on my shoulder. And but she asked me, like, you know, she didn't, like, force me, like, do you really want to go? Do you really want to try it? I'm like, yeah, like. I really feel like I really need to be there. And, you know, I filled out the forms and I started going regularly. Ryan did get some pushback from the other guys at Luke 15. People had a lot of questions. They're kind of like telling me, oh, you don't want to go to the Catholic church. Like, what are you thinking? Da, 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 da. I'm like, well, I don't know. I really think that like something happened there and I really need to go find out more, right? Ryan started learning more about the Catholic faith and meeting others who were also seeking the truth. He went deep into his study, reading every handout he got at RCIA, reading his Bible, reading his catechism. And the house really helped me with my faith, too, because you're in a house that, that you're not, there's no cable TV, you're not allowed a cell phone, there's no internet access. Like, you have, like, one day out of the week where you could do your own thing, and it's a very strict house. I was working on myself a lot, too. Like, you know, I was reading, you know, secular, bro- uh, secular books to improve my language, too, because I talked a lot of slang, and... You know, I did a lot of cussing. So I, like, I worked really hard. Any time that I had, like, you know, I was, like, working on my mental health, my spiritual health. Like, I was very proactive, and I really wanted to change. It was really wonderful to see the Lord working in Ryan's life and to see the growth. Because he came in with attitude. And I think he would he would admit that. He came in with attitude. They They usually do. But once he started his walk with Christ, his attitude really began to change. I remember receiving the sacraments in April and this big relief because RCAA was like a lot of work. I just remember like after receiving the sacraments, I was just really happy and um, that I got the greatest gift in the world. It wasn't nearly the end of my journey, like, you know what I mean? I remember the coordinator at RCA said, like, don't think that this is the end. Like, this is just the beginning. You know, I, and I took it to heart. I, like, I didn't even realize, like, you know, the challenges that would come after that. Hi, this is CNA producer Jonah McKeown. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love listening to the kinds of stories that you hear on public radio. The kind of story that gives you a driveway moment, you know, when you're kind of, like, glued into your car just listening and wanting to hear the end of a story on the radio. Well, that's exactly the kind of thing we try to bring you with CNA Newsroom. Great stories informed by our Catholic faith. 
If you enjoy listening to CNA Newsroom, you should be sure and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Subscribing is easy on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, and more. Or, if you've never heard of any of those, just open whatever podcast app you have on your phone, tap the magnifying glass, and type in CNA Newsroom. Then click the subscribe button. New episodes will be delivered straight to your phone as soon as they're posted. And the best part is, it's free. It costs nothing, and it never will. When you subscribe, be sure to leave us an honest rating and leave us a review. Good ratings and more reviews help other people find our show. Thanks so much, and now, back to the episode. In hearing Ryan's story, it's easy to forget that this entire time, Ryan is still on bail. He's been convicted of his crimes, but he hasn't been sentenced, and he has no idea if he'll go to jail or not. He's been at Luke 15 for 21 months. In that time, Ryan celebrated one year of sobriety. He became an AA sponsor. He was volunteering regularly at a local kitchen and shelter for the homeless, and he was very involved at St. Mary's Catholic Parish. Somehow, Ryan got wind that about a year into his time at Luke 15, the court was considering an eight-year sentence. That literally took the breath out of me. I couldn't do anything for two weeks, just thinking that hearing that number, like, it's a possibility of me going to jail for eight years. And, you know, I really had to persevere in prayer, like, really persevere in prayer, go to Mass, like, twice a week. Finally, the time came for Ryan's sentencing. Ryan's sentencing, we had to actually go to court three times. I had previously been to court with one of the other guys who was a friend of Ryan's, and I learned that having support in the courtroom makes a big impact on the judge. So each time we had up to 12 or 13 people in the courtroom for Ryan. The sentencing was divided up into three days over about two months. This had to have been really hard for Ryan. I know it was very hard for his mother, but the waiting, the stress of that. The judge gave Ryan a combined sentence of 23 months. Our hearts just kind of sank. And I remember Ryan being placed in handcuffs and just looking at all of us and saying, don't worry, I'll be okay. It was distressing because he had made so much progress. And we know that jail sets people back. Jail, let's get one thing straight. Jail is not a happy place. I don't care how good you're doing. Jail is not a happy place. And, you know, the guys come out of there and come, they used to come into recovery just with attitude, very stressed. It's a hard place, I think, not to lose yourself and not to go into despair. Ryan was sent to a medium security prison because of the nature of his charges. He was in a unit with a couple dozen other men, men serving time for kidnapping, assault, extortion. He was the only Catholic. He said he had no support. He met with the prison chaplain a couple of times, but the chaplain wasn't Catholic. It was hard, but I definitely relied on God and read my Bible a lot every morning. Thankfully, Ryan said he still felt very connected with his Catholic community on the outside. I could definitely feel people praying for me. There was definitely times where I was in my jail cell, it was just like where I just knew that there was still a lot of people praying for me. You know, people just really prayed for him, and people were united in their prayers for Ryan. The St. Mary's Prayer Group also sent Ryan letters, and they even visited. 
you know, for a lot of us, it was our first time <laughs> visiting anybody uh, in the prison. Soon after, Kathy chanced upon Bob Buckham, who is the director of prison ministry at the Archdiocese of Vancouver. But I'm also a volunteer, so I've been a volunteer for 20 years. This is Bob, by the way. Bob oversees the activities of about 250 volunteers within the diocesan prison ministry. I didn't really know Ryan before this because he was at Luke 15. I would go there every once in a while, but I didn't really get to know the guys that well. I would just go there basically in my capacity of coordinator of the prison ministry just, just to get to know all of the institutions that we have. But a lot of our volunteers told me about Ryan. One of those volunteers was Kathy, who told Bob where Ryan was, and she asked Bob to keep an eye out for him. And it just so happened that Bob was a regular volunteer at the prison where Ryan was. I would go there every Tuesday night, but he was in a different area of the institution, one of the areas that I didn't normally go into. But I'd heard from the volunteers that he was there and that, you know, if at all possible, you know, could I visit him? Ryan spent 35 days in the medium security area before he was transferred to a minimum security area, the area where Bob would be able to reach him. That's where I met Bob, and Kathy told him to look out for me. One Tuesday night when I was going there, I, I, I heard he was there. I introduced myself. When I go into the institutions, I basically run a Bible study. Uh, for an hour. Most times they'd watch a brief video about some aspect of the Catholic faith and then they'd discuss it. Afterwards, you know, everybody will kind of leave and then, you know, I spend some more time talking to them and you hear my story and then, you know, you talk to me and, you know, I get honest about him, about what's going on in jail and then you give me a lecture and, you know, he just really spent his time with me. Like, you know, there'd be some days there was nobody around and he would even show a video and, you know, we would just sit and talk. You know, we had lots of great discussions for weeks after weeks after weeks. And one of the things that he was missing was the Eucharist. Where I was in minimum security, there was really no Catholic services offered to you. There was a one Catholic service offered in medium security, and that was once a month. But I didn't, since I was minimum security, I was not allowed to go to that service. So me being in minimum security, like there wasn't really any Catholic programs available whatsoever other than Bob. So Bob talked with his pastor and became an extraordinary minister of the Eucharist. So we would have our Bible study with all the guys, and when all the guys left, I would administer the Eucharist to Ryan. So he would bring me communion. We would read John 6. Bob was a lifeline for Ryan at that time. Many of the other prisoners subscribed to Buddhist beliefs, and they would challenge Ryan's faith. There was a lot of times in situations where I had to like really defend my faith. You know, and then all the time that I spent in Luke 15 taught me like a level of like tolerance and patience and understanding I was just equipped. Like, I just knew what to say and how to say it. And then, you know, slowly their answers and their rebuttals were like, you know, you could see their emotion draining away from them. And they're like, okay. Ryan was also in pretty regular contact with the people at St. Mary's. You know, Ryan would call one person and that person would call me and I would send an email and let people know what was going on. Thanks be to God. And thanks to all the volunteers and the continued involvement and Bob being able to go see Ryan on a weekly basis and bring him the Eucharist, Ryan did not, at least completely, go into despair. Throughout his time in minimum security, Ryan was part of a work crew called BC Wildfire Services. 
the job paid minimum wage so he would be able to save up for when he got out of prison. He was also working on getting parole. Every once in a while, he'd get a visit from a member of the parole board. And then... I ended up getting accepted on December 10th. Altogether, he served just over six months in prison. He was released to a halfway house on December 31st, New Year's Eve. That was like the most freedom I had in a long time because being in Luke 15, you don't have a lot of freedom. And I was like even allowed to have a cell phone again, right? So I was like, okay, I have a cell phone. How do I use it? (laughs) So, And then I just like, you know, I had to really make a conscious decision every single day, planning my day. What am I going to do? Who am I going to talk to? How am I going to do this? How long am I going to be there? You know, and I started really being like focused and really taking my own time seriously because like, you know, all the ambition and drive that I had before, I was finally giving a little bit of opportunity to use it. And how did he spend his new year and this newfound freedom? I literally started going to church again, going to Holy Rosary, and I just jumped right into the community again. And I met up with Bob a couple of weeks after, and we, we started to talk again, and I just knew what I needed to do, <laughs> you know? Like, as soon as I got out, like, I, got, I had to reconnect with my community again, because a lot of the times, you know, people get out of jail, and they're like, okay, I'm going to go do this and that, right? But I needed to get grounded again. Today, Ryan goes to Mass a couple of times each week. He's on parole, living with his family, and training to be a mobile crane operator. He works long hours, but he always makes time for the gym and to read his Bible. After talking with Ryan for some time at this point, our conversation began to sound a lot like many of the conversations I've been having lately with other friends who are Catholic. We started talking about how we just could not wait for Easter. And for Ryan, that is a privilege. I'm kind of really looking forward to Easter because this Lenten season has been really, really rough on me. (laughs) To be honest, I feel like I've been tempted a lot more. I feel like, you know, it's just a struggle because I've I've had like such little privilege ever being a Catholic to begin with. And for me to finally have privilege and kind of like discipline myself and give things up, it's, it's been a lot harder. Ryan is hoping to team up with Bob this next school year to speak at several high schools in the area to share his story. You know, I'm looking forward to, like, explain to the youth, like, how, like, the simple bad decisions you're making now could, like, take you down a path that you would never see yourself going down and you'll go down it. Ryan will also share the impact that the Catholic community in Vancouver had on his life, an impact any person can make by sharing their faith, or by simply giving their time and attention to a person in need. Uh, yeah, a lot of people, like, you know, people that come into faith in jail aren't able to continue on in their faith. So Bob sees a lot of this, but, like, you know, I think he re- I really wanted to get my story across and to be known that, like, you know, like, how much, like, the community, the Catholic community has really done for me and me being where I was and to where I am at now and just still have the support and people that, you know, I could, like, reach out to and ask for prayer and, help and you know they're willing to help me and talk to me and give me their time and it's really helped me grow and you know I'm still growing you know. Of course it goes both ways. Many of the people I spoke with about Ryan for this episode shared how he impacted their lives. I continue to thank the Lord for Ryan's presence in my life and in so many other lives. I, um, I'm, I'm very thankful that I was working at Luke 15 when he was there. Because that, his presence in my life made a big difference to me. 
CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Easter Bunny Vike. Special thanks this week to Ryan Prasad and everyone who helped us tell his story. Have a blessed Triduum and a happy Easter.